Hi, everyone. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Yes, two weeks in a row she's broadcasting. Maybe this woman is finally getting back to her, uh, her old ways of being reliable. We shall see how this summer plays out. It is July 19th, 2022, the 20th day of Tammuz, 5782. It means we're into what's called the three weeks. Um, leading up to the ninth of Av, which of course is our day of mourning in that sense of uh, like a lot of the rotten things that happened in our history happened during this time period. So we kind of like lay low. I don't know, you know, like not great things usually happen during this time period, but we're going to move past that hopefully in the future and make sure that um, wonderful things happen during this time period. Although I have to say that it started off literally with a bang for me. I was in Ashkelon with my husband, a bunch of our grandchildren, a couple of our kids over the weekend. And Friday night, we go to sleep for Shabbat. And Friday night, um, get woken up. Everyone goes to bed and get woken up by a siren. Um, and there were um, there were missiles shot out of Gaza. And Ashkelon, of course, is only 12 miles north of Gaza. So the sirens went off. Um, we go into the shelter. It turns out that most of them didn't even wake up. My husband and I woke up. One of my daughters woke up. Everyone else slipped through it. I don't know how they could. It was so loud. I was up in a second. And of course, it's not just being woken up. It's like that adrenaline surge and the what the heck is going on until your brain clicks in with what's going on. Um, I didn't even hear the boom because uh, one of them was shot down by the Iron Dome. My husband heard it. So we have, there's a shelter in the building there and all the new apartments that are built now have that. So we went in there, which is what we had turned into the kids room anyway, so that they were all in there in any event. Um, and then it was like, you know, whales for about, I don't know, 30 seconds or so. And then everything was quiet. And uh, since it was Shabbat, so it didn't go on to all the news and, you know, see what was going on. Everything was quiet and we went back to bed. It's like this crazy existence. Um, and of course, very upsetting. And Israel afterwards went and uh, took out some, I don't know, weapons depots or whatever it is in Gaza. But it's really only when you start spending significant time in that, the southwestern part of the country, um, which we've been doing, that you understand that, like it's what's called Sheket Medumeh, like kind of quiet until it's not quiet anymore. It's like a false quiet. And then at any second, people are, you know, running into the shelters. I found out later that there were people who were taken to the hospital, uh, like having panic attacks. And uh, it's just, um, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to end, when it's going to end. It's been, thank God, pretty quiet over this last year, relatively speaking. But um, the, you know, our enemies are there and their intent to destroy us has not waned. Um, quite the opposite. Uh, anytime they feel like, you know, their, um, their ideas are being accepted without the understanding of where this is going, uh, slash President Biden was here last week and I got caught in like the worst traffic jam. I didn't mean to be in Jerusalem. I knew this was going to happen, but I had to pay a shiva call. There's a friend passed away and I went to visit the family and they were, they were, um, they were in Jerusalem and on the way out, it was just like just, there was like no way out. It was absolutely insane. And of course, some of the things that he said, and I know that Josh Haston did a great analysis of the visit here, um, that some of the things he said shows a non-understanding of the Middle East. Okay. The two-state solution is not going to bring peace, only showing that we're strong and that we're here to stay. And that their nefarious plans of wreaking havoc and murder, not just on Israel, but on everybody that they can get a hold of, um, are not going to in any way be counted 
countenanced or rewarded. That's the only way that things here are ever going to have a chance of getting quiet. Um, but there seems to be a lack of understanding on that point. So, uh, anyhow, it was a very interesting weekend to say the least. And then I guided two days in a row. I ended up guiding Yad Vashem, Israel's Holocaust Museum, Memorial in Jerusalem, um, the organization Momentum, like the birthright for moms. So their schedule got totally changed because of the Biden visit, because he laid a wreath in Yad Vashem. And so the whole thing was closed to everybody else. And they'd already made plans. Anyway, they asked me to step in and I ended up guiding Yad Vashem two mornings in a row. Can't say it's my favorite place to guide. It's very intense, but it's also super important to present what happened, um, I think in the right way. And so it struck me as it always does, how the beginnings of the Holocaust bear a lot of resemblance to what's happening today. Um, the first room in Yad Vashem, for those of you who have not been there, is devoted very much to the um, to the to the Catholic mainly um, theological underpinnings of you know antisemitism, uh, something that is fortunately you don't see today, but very much those you know hundreds of really a couple thousand years. Of um, of Jew hatred, you know, from the New Testament on, um, and how you know we deserve to be punished, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that was very, very much embedded, um, especially in Eastern Europe, and that's why um, a lot of these atrocious things could happen. Um, it's it that is not thankfully what is going on today, at least not that I see it. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it, it's um, like it didn't just happen overnight. It's also interesting to see how manipulative Hitler was um, and how humiliated the German people had been in World War I, hardworking people, and then they're humiliated and they're looking for somebody to blame. And, um, and here you go. And so, I mean, it's pretty accepted by historians that World War II was almost inevitable from that part of it. Um, and of course they blame the Jews because we can never win when we're the other, when we're different and separate than we're the other. And when the Jews, like the German Jews were very much integrating into German society. I mean, the irony is that I might only be Jewish today because of the Holocaust, because my father's family was German and very much assimilating into German society. Um, which is also an interesting thing to think about uh, and on many different levels. Um, so when the Jews are integrating, then they're taking the native German jobs and they're taking over and there's Jewish conspiracies. And there were also different racial theories. It was like really the perfect storm of a lot of different reasons to hate the Jews. And, um, and, then, if, and then it starts with boycotts. Don't buy from Jewish stores. Is sounding familiar here? Don't buy from Jewish stores and don't let Jews into here and don't let Jews into there. And it's like very, very interesting to see the slide into what at the beginning would have been absolutely not even like fathomable as to where it would go. Um, you know, cause we have the benefits, the benefits of hindsight. So we know where it ends, but at the beginning or in the 1930s, um, they did not know how far it was going to go and where it was going to end. Certainly the Jews didn't. And I, you know, told the, the women, the story, there's a room that's devoted to German Jewry. And I told the story of, and there's a film that plays on the wall of a man who, an older man who's the only survivor of his family, and he's remembering when he was a child in Germany, his parents arguing about um, should they leave or should they stay? And the parent who said we should stay won, and as a result, he's the only survivor of his family. And I was with a couple many, many years ago, 
and uh, an older couple, and the man got like really pale. And I was guiding them through Gan Vashem, and I said, "What's going on?" And he said, "That could have been me." He remembered. Also, little child in Germany, parents arguing, should we leave, should we go? But in his case, the parent who said we should leave won the argument. And for that reason, he was standing there with me today, you know, having uh, lived a, a nice life and raised a family and safety, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's always, I think about this all the time, because I teach a lot of history. I'm obsessively learning about history and teaching history, both religious and so-called secular. At every point along the way, there are forks in the road. At every point along the way, there are choices that people make that can have huge ramifications at the end. I mean, sometimes not, but sometimes tremendous, like light, you know, um, life-saving or the opposite. Um, and that's why I'm like so crazy about when learning history, when teaching history, asking why, not just what happened, but why did it happen? What was the context of what was going on? And I think we need to think about that in terms of our present day life, because one day this will be history, like tomorrow. Um, like by the time you listen to this podcast, my taping the podcast is already a history, right? So, but why did people do things? We don't know what's going to happen in the future. Um, we can try and shape it maybe, um, will have some kind of effect on it. But, um, but just to ask why certain people made certain decisions, why certain things happened. It's like when it comes to the Holocaust, yeah, 6 million were killed. But the, the really correct way of thinking about it is that 6 million times somebody decided to commit murder. And that's a different way of expressing it. And, and we see what's going on in the world today. And most of us don't really know what's going on in the world. What's di so different today than was 70, 80 years ago is the information that we get, our sources of information. They were very limited then. So they didn't have internet for good or for bad because most information that we get is not true and not good. And we have to really sort through, which is why you're listening to Rejuvenation and not something else today, I would imagine. You may not like what you hear, but it's going to be raw and it's going to be blunt and it's going to be true because I don't have to answer it to anybody. At least it's going to be the truth as I see it from really the heart of what so many people are obsessed about, which is of course, which is of course Israel. So they didn't have much information then. They were easily swept along with the rhetoric of, of the Nazis and the, the need to conform, which is very, very much part of the German personality. And you could just, if you go in there with like a, you know, psych glasses on, which of course I do as well about human behavior, you could just see how things roll out. And also in a good way, there are exhibits there about the Bul but Bulgaria, for example, where the Bulgarian Orthodox Church and some very important people in the church saved 50,000 Bulgarian Jews, because even though the Jews were supposed to be deported, they kind of raised a hue and cry. And a lot of people, because let's face it, most people don't do much. There's some amazing people who really push us forward in a positive way. There are way too many really crummy people who try and move the world in such a negative way. And most people in the middle who are like, whatever, either not paying attention or just kind of swept along with whatever seems like everybody else is doing. A lot of times that's not good like a lot of the things that are happening in America right now with woke and all that stuff, which I don't want to get into. But anyway, in, in Bulgaria, the people and a lot of people uh, that passed a tipping point of people ended up also getting upset and they ended up saving their Jews. And of course, Denmark also where the king refused to have his Jews, you know, be deported and he himself fought against the Nazis. And then you have Norway where the prime minister there just like you know, totally collaborated with the Nazis, which is why Quisling, Q-U-I-S-L-I-N-G, which was his name, has become now synonymous, small Q, 
with a collaborator. And that's how that word ends up in there. So, you know, you just see different countries. Most of them did not do what they could have done, uh, but some of them really standing out and, uh, and he's standing up and saying, no, this is wrong. and We're not going to let this happen. And, uh, and then you look at the world now and different things that are going on and you wonder, you know, where the leadership is, where those different countries are going to go. The guy who, who lives here in Israel, who, who cleans my apartment is, um, is Sri Lankan. There's a lot of Sri Lankans here in Israel. Um, they come as foreign workers. They get paid very well, you know, definitely consider, and they send their money home, definitely. And they're here temporarily for the most part. Anyway, so, um, you know, I was talking to him this week because I'd actually met him because his wife used to clean for me many, before they were married many, many years ago. And then she met him here and they got married and she, they had a couple of kids and she ended up going back to Sri Lanka and talking about what's going on in Sri Lanka, which just totally fell apart. I mean, this country that was really doing well. And then from what I understand, from what I was reading this week about it, because of restrictions that they had on like chemical fertilizers, I think, because of the world going all green, they ended up, their economy basically fell apart. And now we see what's going on there. There's total chaos. He can't even get there to his wife and to his kids. I mean, hopefully they're safe. He said in the country, they're in the country, not in the cities and they're safe, but you can see how concerned he is. And this is something that most of us, I mean, if he didn't, you know, if I didn't know him already for years and he didn't work here, uh, I would never, I would like read about Sri Lanka and go like, oh, but, you know, because I know somebody and I know a personal story, I'm like, well, and, you know, and then I went and investigated and could this have been changed? And yeah, it probably could have been changed. And there's a whole country and millions of people who are now, um, their lives are, are really a mess. And I don't know what, you know, what's going to be there. So again, you know, decisions that maybe some bureaucrats make somewhere that sound good on paper, but without thinking about it in the long term or what's going to happen, and boom, you have even something like a country falling apart and people getting killed. So it's like there's just so much going on. Yeah, and we we can't all keep tabs on everything that's happening. But so much of it, you know, once again, just comes down to leadership, both good and bad. Um, speaking of which, I have an exciting couple of days coming up. I was asked to guide a CPAC group. CPAC is the conservative pack that is gaining strength in the states and they've brought some um some congress people here i'm not exactly sure i haven't seen the list of who's there um but they've brought some people who are very involved in american politics here to israel to visit and i was asked to guide them on thursday um first there there's an event with ben shapiro on wednesday night um, which I'm going to end up going to. I really, I don't follow him. I know probably a lot of you do. I just don't follow a lot of what's going on in the States and a lot of the the pundits and the talk radio. I just don't have time. I'm very involved with what's happening here in Israel. But anyhow, but he's coming to Israel and apparently this is an event also with CPAC. So um, one of my daughters is very, um, very into him and follows him. So she asked some of us to come. So we're going to go on Wednesday night to Tel Aviv. On Thursday, I'm going to be taking a bus of them up to the galley to some of the, um, obviously some of the religious sites, to Capernaum and to Beatitudes, but also up to the Golan Heights to get some security information. Anyhow, it's going to be an insanely long day, like starting seven in the morning in Jerusalem and returning at midnight. So that's why I'm stoking up on my coffee already. Uh, it should be absolutely fascinating. Very honored that they asked me to guide them and, you know, hopefully um, be able to teach them a lot about this country and a lot about what's really happening here because knowledge is power and, and understanding. And most people talk about Israel, haven't seen it, never been here, don't really understand what's happening. So um, 
I'm really happy that I'm going to be able to share that perspective and hopefully make some kind of a little of difference. Or uh, and, and I'm also really excited to be able to meet them and encourage them in what they're doing because it, um, it, it seems like it's not an easy atmosphere in Washington right now to be pro-Israel, to understand the bigger picture, to understand that supporting Israel is actually supporting America because the interests of the United States lie very much in having a strong Israel here with all the Abraham Accords and all really like the wonderful things, I'm not minimizing it at all, the different um, advances that have been made in Israel having relationships with the country around us that has not, that's not connected to giving them anything except for who we are, the knowledge that we have, the technology that we have, trying to make lives better for people here every single day from water desalination to all kinds of tech. We are still the only democracy in the Middle East. I think it behooves us to re- to remind everybody that the other leaders, they're not necessarily their people are behind him. They were not necessarily elected. As a matter of fact, they weren't elected. Uh, very, very easily you can fla- fall into failed state status like we have really with Syria and with Lebanon very, very quickly. And so everything is pretty tenuous. <laughs> so I think it's it's really, really important that that message gets out that Israel, we punch above our weight in the sense that we are that little bastion of values of freedom, freedom of speech, and just in general freedoms and democracy here in a very fractious Middle East uh, with a lot of threats around us all the time that could easily slide into, you know, military dictatorships, which happened in other countries, in Turkey years ago, and in Syria, of course, and in Egypt. And we haven't done that, nor are we going to do that. So, you know, you hear about all the craziness here, and I can't say that it makes me happy either, that we're going to new elections and we can't seem to find, you know, none of the polls are showing that there's going to be any kind of stable government afterwards, and it's very unclear. But the light within all of that mess is that there's even a discussion here, that there's even elections. It's not something that I take for granted. I did in the first years when I came here because my head was still very much American and, oh, this is just how it is. This is what I knew. And after li- having lived here now for 34 years, I realized how special it is, how precious it is. And now it's something that really not to be taken for granted. So I've become very much a Middle Easterner, still understand the West very well. And obviously speak, that's still my mother tongue. And, and, you know, but also being able to see it from Middle Eastern eyes, it's been a very, very interesting road really from both sides now and to understand that. And, and I've been, you know, blessed with a job and with an ability to, you know, really try and explain that to others who come here and to the, those of you who are listening who aren't here or at least not here yet. So um, it's, uh, first of all, it's great to be back. I have to say, it's great to be doing all these things. It's great to see the, you know, tourists are back. I was in the old city the other day and I'm going to be there again. I'm guiding City of David tomorrow. Um, you know, really the streets are packed, the restaurants are packed, lots of kids here, lots of tourists are here after two years of a pandemic. Also, like trying to just wow, not you know, appreciating that, right? It's only when you lose something or at least lose it even temporarily that you appreciate what you had. And so that's definitely like the tour guides are not taking anything for granted. We're happy to be back and happy to be seeing people here with all the chaos at the airport and all of that happening. And I'm, I myself am going to be flying out of here in a couple of weeks. I was invited to speak um, in the States in a couple of places. Happy to do it in your community as well. You can just be, you can always be in touch with me if that's something that you think that I can bring to your 
uh, table, as it were, you know, back on the road again and bringing Israel to others. So uh, an interesting summer, definitely ahead of me here. Have some interviews. I miss interviewing people so badly. So I have some interviews lined up, a couple archaeologists, a couple cool things that are happening, and um, also have a couple of trips here in Israel for One Israel Fund. Wine days, but not just wine. I mean, I've done wine days where we basically just reeled from winery to winery. Decided to change it up a little bit this year and also do more like, you know, hist- history. So I've got a wine day uh, August 24th in Gush Etzion, but we're starting off at Herodian, which has just become, I've talked about that before, this amazing site. So we'll start off in Herodian, really do a deep dive into that period of time and King Herod and what's going on over there and Bar Kokhba revolt. And then we'll meander over to a couple of wineries and, and taste some of the fruits of the land. And then August 29th, uh, doing more or less the same up in the Shomron, going to really investigate the Samaritans, like, you know, not just go up to Har Bracha, to Mount Grizim and talk about them, but actually visit the national park that's up there, learn about the hundreds of years where they were up there, the Hasmoneans were up there, the Byzantines were up there, a tremendous amount of history up on that mountain, and really do it in an intensive way, and then go to the Mount Bracha, the Har Bracha winery, and then make our way down the Alone Road to uh, to another place. So um, got a couple of those uh, events that I'm cooking up, and also um, working on itineraries for different groups for next year. So it's exciting. Not I don't take it for granted either. And of course, I understand the plans can change in a second. Had a very full itinerary for 2020 that just literally disappeared overnight. So I think that's something that we were, we all know that time is precious and that we don't really control anything. I think that really hit home though, in a very intensive way the last couple of years, but it's good. It's good because gratitude is super important and to not take anything, anything, anything for granted. Not even like going to Ashkelon and be able to sleep through the night. That's what's going on. Just updating you guys. And I will fill you in next week on how, if, how, and if this week went off as planned. And in the meantime, I am having like five to six nectarines every morning for breakfast. The summer fruit here is just outrageous. Cherry season is over already. Had my last cherries. Seem to have missed the apricots. I don't know why. They like blitzed in and blitzed out. I didn't have that enough apricots this year, but uh, the rest of the summer fruit is just beautiful. And I appreciate that as well. You guys know that I'm a fruit person and the fruit of the land is uh, definitely tops my list. Not that the other food is so bad either. So anyway, I'm going to bounce. Got a lot to do today. Um, Just wanted to check in with you guys. So happy to hear from you. Love getting letters last week. Like we missed you. Where were you? So glad to hear that you're okay. And good luck with the move and with the downsizing and a lot of people empathizing with how that is not a simple um, part of life to say goodbye to the house where you raised all the kids. And in the States, I think it's less common. That, that's what people are writing to me, like kind of hang on to that house until till you go, um, maybe because it's not as expensive to hold on to as it is here. I don't really know. Um, or because there's, you know, moving to a smaller place is only possible if you move into a city and not so many people want to do that. I don't know, whole, whole host of reasons. Um, but we did it, getting used to it. Um, some days I'm like, oh, it's there's like it's so much easier just to live in a small place and not have to deal with stuff. Uh, and other times, just like getting hit with, wow, like not really gonna have my kids around the table, all of them anymore. I don't have it, that table anymore, and that's really hard because um, the kids are everything. 
Those are my thoughts for this week. I hope wherever you are, you're good, you're safe, you're happy, you're healthy. Um, and kind of if you're getting this next wave of COVID, which seems to fit here as well, that it's really mild and, um, and you know, just, you don't know, really have any bad side effects. It's just something maybe that we're going to have to live with, kind of like a flu or cold thing. I don't know, until the next bats, bowl of bat soup. Who knows? In any event, thanks to Tabitha and thanks to Ben and thanks to all of you. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. And you can be in touch with me, um, Eve, at thelandofisrael.org, I believe. Take care, everybody, and goodbye for now. Every Sunday, join the Land of Israel Fellowship. This live interactive Zoom experience is hosted by Jeremy Gimpel and Ari Abramowitz with participants from around the world. To join, visit thelandofisrael.com slash fellowship.